What's up, pals? You're tuned in to episode 14 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast where a group of lifelong gamers get together to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm joined, as always, by my ever-present co-host and antagonist, Mr. Andy Brown. Hey, hey, hey. I'm here to tell you why water Pokemon are trash. <laughs> oh, we'll get into that later. Uh, the Edgelord with a heart of gold, Mr. Robert Thompson. Hey. <laughs> and the Guildmaster himself, Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello there. How we doing this week, boys? Doing all right. Uh, excited to talk about video games as usual. Uh, I don't get to do that too much, even though I play tons of World of Warcraft. Uh, but talking about the meta of the gaming world is not something I get to do too often, except with you pals. Yeah, dude, I'm excited. It's uh, we've got like a pretty laid back show this week, but um, you know, there's definitely some good stuff to get into, and I think we've got a fun uh, uh, main topic that I got lined up. So, but before we get into all that, let me tell you guys where you can connect with the video game pals all around the web. For starters, if you guys want to write in, in the show and hear your thoughts right on the air, give us a random question of the week, or just say hey, you can write into us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals at gmail.com, and uh, you can have your thoughts right on the air. You can also follow our sister show at thecomicspals wherever you. Your social media is sold. Stay up to date on all the shit we've got going on here at the Pals Network. Uh, and if you're an audio listener, we would greatly appreciate it if you drop us a like on your platform of choice. If you really want to help us out, you can bounce over to iTunes, where we are currently a five-star rated podcast. Leave us another sweet rating. We're trying to break into that six-star echelon, so we'd really appreciate your support over there. And uh, if you're on YouTube, you can do us a solid, like this video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and stay tuned for a ton of fun, new, exclusive content coming there on the ground floor. So get involved. Uh, and then, last but not least, the best thing you can do is share the show with your pals so they can become our pals, too. So with all that out of the way, let's kick the show off the way we always do by talking about what we're playing this week. And uh, I'm actually going to go first, because um, in addition to the normal suite of things I've been playing the last couple weeks, I'm still in Zelda, I'm still in Crash, uh, I started up Persona 5. Yo! Jeez. <laughs> The journey begins, yeah. So I, uh, Andy and I did a uh, a game swap. He has my copy of Horizon Zero Dawn for the next couple of weeks until he goes off to law school, and I have Persona Five for the indefinite future because he doesn't have his own PS4. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So how are you liking it? It's uh, it's cool so far. I think. I am a little disappointed about how dense the intro is. I think I I was a little spoiled by Final Fantasy XV kind of breaking that JRPG trope of, like, there's three hours of stuff before the game starts. Because, like, I... so Okay, so you do the opening sequence to Persona 5, right? And it's, like, a very, like, you know, classic storytelling tradition. You're kind of starting in the middle of the narrative. It's this very, like, exciting kind of action scene. And I was like, oh, cool, what's going on here? And then it's like, all right, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, to where it all started. And I'm just like, okay, cool, cool. And then it's been two hours, and I still haven't gotten into I haven't been able to play the game again since. <laughs> There's a lot of story. But I'm interested. Like, I definitely, I'm excited to get to the actual, like, first dungeon. Because I think I'm, like, right before it. I got through the first two, like, in-game days of where it's basically just adults chastising you for stopping a crime. <laughs> that does happen. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I think it looked like, like for being an asshole for being a good guy, you know? Yeah, it's like, I don't mean to, like... Alright, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, like, a mild spoiler for the very beginning of Persona 5 since Thompson and Andy already know it, and I'm sure Sean has no intentions of no. playing Persona 5. No. Right. 
So just so you know where I'm at with this, Sean, the 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 plot that you're set up is like your character stops a rape. And then you're, like, literally just giving shit for what? it the entirety of the game I've experienced so far. You get arrested because the guy who is, like, committing the crime is, like, seems like he was, like, some, like, wealthy politician or something. So, like, you get, like, framed for, like, hurting him. Or not framed, but, like, you get arrested for assaulting him. For stopping him assaulting this woman. And then basically every adult I've interacted with since then has just been like, well, that's what you get for putting your nose where it doesn't belong. And I was just like, what the fuck? I stopped the crime. Wow. <laughs> I'm a goddamn hero. Nah, man, that's what you get for putting your nose where it doesn't belong in Japan, apparently. Not gonna lie, though, that's like a great punishment. Oh, yeah, you know, you're from a small town. Go live in the big city in a coffee shop and like have friends and no supervision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, in, a, in your own apartment, basically. That's quite the message. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, Jesus Christ, I swear to God, basically, in the in the little bit I've played of Persona, I think the the main, like, theme I'm getting so far is, authority is bad. <laughs> oh, God, that is the theme, yeah. <laughs> the real heroes are the crooks. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, It's I'm I'm really into the aesthetic of it. I've gotten a lot of laughs out of it already, and I'm having fun with the story. But like, goddamn, I can't wait to the part get to the part where I just get to fight my gym teacher's dick already. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there, Pete. Don't worry, I believe need in some you. explanation. Nah, <laughs> uh, check out episode one of the video game pals for. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. That's true. Andy talked all about it. So yeah, uh, for those of you who are excited that Andy was finally done talking about Persona, now you can get ready ready for me to talk about it for the next thirty episodes. <laughs> so fuck. <laughs> but uh, that's that's pretty much it for me. Uh, aside from the stuff I've already been doing. So what about you? Wait, Andy? Pete, you're not going to talk about the game we started at the same time on my couch on Monday, Splatoon. Oh my god, I can't believe I almost didn't. I literally forgot to say yeah. something about that because I was so wrapped up in Persona Talk. Yeah, I forgot Splatoon came out this week. So Monday was my birthday, and Pete bought me and him Splatoon, and it's been a lot of fun. Also, just real quick, you should totally tell the kids at home what we did on your birthday, aside from play Splatoon 2, because it was a great day. Oh yeah, so for my birthday, um, my mom and my sister cooked seven courses of meals while we binged the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, like, for any of y'all out there who've seen The Fellowship of the Ring and you know the second breakfast scene where Pippin lists off, like, second breakfast? Elevensies? Luncheon? Afternoon tea? Supper? Dinner? Every <laughs> single one of those meals. And wow. then a four-layer strawberry shortcake for dessert. How are you guys oh, God. here? It was incredible. <laughs> um, it was amazing. It was, like, all, all I gotta say is, while we were doing it, I was kind of, like, I, it's been a while since I've read, like, the Similarian or anything, so I was, like, refreshing myself on Hobbit culture. Hobbits know how to fucking live, man. Yeah. You don't come of age until you're 30, you spend seven, you eat seven meals a day, all they do is smoke weed all day and farm, and then go to the bar at night and sing. Fucking mm -hmm. Hobbits know how to live, dude. Yeah, they have literally every good aspect of life in, in Middle-earth. But anyway, so we got Splatoon 2, and we've both been playing a lot of it since then. That's awesome. Yeah. Is it, is it good? It's a lot of fun. It's so fantastic, man. Yeah, it's really fun. And, like, similar to ARMS, it's like, you know, I'm not a huge 
multiplayer competitive shooter guy. I've gotten into a few of them over the years, but it's just like, I'm just having so much fun playing this game every night. And like, I remember when we talked about it a while ago, um, you know, we were very critical of Nintendo's decision for how they were rotating maps and the way that ranked worked and everything. But Anne and I were actually talking about it the other night while we were playing and we both kind of come around on it. Yeah. Why? Because you, it's really fun to be playing in whatever block you're playing and get to intimately know a map really well. So, like, we were talking about it. We were playing the other night for, like, I think two hours together. And we were playing. We started in the middle of uh, a round. So we got about 45 minutes on a map for a long time. So, you know, you get to, like, really know all the nooks and crannies of the map and, like, where the places you want to be, how positioning works and everything because you're not constantly having to learn the layout of a new land. And and then as soon as you're at the point where you're like, I'm really kind of done with this map, I'm ready for something different, the clock changes. Is it is it one map a day? It's No, it's every two hours they switch, oh, and they rotate, wow. they okay. rotate you between maps depending on... Because if it's just the main game, it's one map, but I think if you do ranked, it's a different it's one. It's like um, a regular battle has two maps that's always in one mode, the turf war mode. And then ranked alternates between modes and map sets. Well, the turnover rate's only two hours, so that's pretty quick. Yeah. And again, like, you have the option if you if you don't feel like playing Turf War regular on the whatever the map is, you can go play ranked mode and have, you know, the ability to switch up what you're doing. And then I, I got a chance to try Salmon Run, which is the, um, like, co-op PvE mode that they have, too. It's, like, just, like, uh, endless wave runner, like, Nazi zombie kind of thing um the other night and that was really fun too i haven't played that one yet but i've heard lots of good things about it it's a great way to get gold yeah and like i know i know andy and i are both really into it it's so weird that one of the hooks of this game is the fashion because like the clothes that you can buy are different every day so like it's always fun to jump in and just be like oh is there anything in the shop i want to grab today and like have that reason to be like oh, I don't have enough gold for all the stuff today, that gives me a reason to go jump in and play a couple matches real quick, even if I only play two or three so that I can get this specific, you know, item today. And it's weird how it has all these little things that keep the keep the game from being repetitive and keep you engaged. Hmm. It reminds me of the Team Fortress hat economy now, now that you mentioned all the clothing and shit. Oh, it's got a lot of Team Fortress hat economy. That's and, sure. and that's yeah. why Andy likes it. <laughs> It's similar. Um, it's a very similar system. I like. I'm a little bit upset. Not gonna lie, that it uh, integrates the cosmetics into like gameplay stuff. Yeah, because I know that we talked about it when we talked about this. Um, this platoon direct that you can change what does what. So if you have certain clothes you really like, you can change the abilities on them eventually. But I guess we're just not at that point yet. Yeah, and like, I got myself kitted out where I think I want my cosmetics to be forever. Right. I got, like, a white leather jacket and punk boots and then mirrored aviators to go with. Nice. See, it's like, I have, like, three or four outfits I'm switching between that I've, like, matched together. Like, right now, I have, like, these green Converse with, like, a art print, like, album t-shirt looking thing with pins on it. I've got, like, one that's, like, a stripy hipster shirt that I wear with the, these very, like, horn rim glasses and stuff. I've got, like, a beanie that goes with another outfit and everything. So it's, like... I have a bunch of different loadouts that I like, and it's just, like, it's fun, you know? It's it's a weird hook to have, but it's cool. It's cool to have that ability to customize your character that much. Yeah. And then, have you done the, um, they just rolled out the first Splatfest thing, the mayo versus ketchup? Are you, did you do that? 
I haven't committed yet. I don't know which side I'm picking. I don't like either of them, so I pick mayo because I hate it less. <laughs> yeah, it's like if there was a team mustard, I'd be all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't mustard versus ketchup. Yeah, that would make sense, though. And yeah, my only thing I don't like about that is that you don't get to keep the gear. I was under the impression that you got to keep the Splatfest shirt when you were done. Oh, you don't? No, it's a limited thing, which sucks. Okay, then. Um, have you done any of the... Like, have you used the app at all? The, like, Nintendo yeah. communication app? Yeah. No, like, I downloaded it. And, like, when we were playing the other night, we were like, oh, should we try it? And we're like, no, let's just use Discord. All right, so the Nintendo, like, communications app deserves all the shit it gets. But the in-game, in-game integration into Splatoon is really cool. Like, it links up to your Nintendo hat. It, you have a lifetime inkage meter that you can see on the app, which keeps track of, like, monuments that you've inked in terms of, oh, like, square cool. footage. So, in my week of Splatoon, I've put enough ink on the ground to cover the Great Pyramid of Giza. What? <laughs> yep. That's neat. Yeah, it, like, it gives you a recap of your ranked games. It lets you look at the gear that your teammates or opponents in your last couple battles had, and will let you look at the map rotation. But most importantly... There's a like there's an internet only store that you can order stuff for that they send to Inkopolis. So yeah, you can get like exclusive, exclusive clothes like by using cosmetics the app. and shit. Yeah, which considering how much that's like a fun part of the game, that actually does kind of incentivize me to use the app a little bit. Yeah, it's like I like the app. I wish the like communications and multiplayer stuff was done better. But not gonna lie, if you if like Nintendo does this for all their big multiplayer experiences. That'd be really chill. Yeah, I mean, if if they could improve this and actually give me a reason to play it by giving me free in-game shit, that would be awesome. Because then at least there'd be like, hey, like, yeah, it's really dumb and wonky, but at least they're giving you some crap for using it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you don't even have to use the dumb part of it. It's just like, there's a Splatoon 2 companion app, basically. Yeah, right, like, you don't have to use it for the multiplayer communications if you just want to get the free content. Yeah, it's like... So, that's good. That's good to know. Get on Discord if you want to chat while you play because it works infinitely better i'll be very interested to see how people feel about this game in six months yeah it's um i mean that's kind of how i feel about both it and arms because i think arms is definitely like seeing a pretty big dip in players right now just because of splatoon um and splatoon is like the new hotness right now but i don't know i i honestly think it's gonna have bigger legs than we think because the first game's community played right up until they stopped doing the events you know like there's there's people playing the original splatoon for a long time we'll see i don't know but i, I think it's i think it's gonna have legs Alrighty, so that's what me and pete have been playing thompson sell me on foxhole okay um that's that's been like the longest thing i gotta talk about so i'll just say everything else i was playing first because uh i got to play dream daddy i know that like that's somewhat popular right now um <laughs> like, I'm, like for... I'm honestly i'm honestly a little upset with you i wanted to play it together thompson well i bought it for Alyssa, and she jumped right <laughs> into it and uh i started critiquing her her daddy choices like right off the bat um so then after like her playing like three or four round like from start to finish like four times in a row um i jumped in for once it's it's fun honestly like i don't really get a lot of like dating similar simulators usually but it's it's pretty fun and like i support the game grumps so there you go um 
I, I gotta get my hands on that. I was like waiting because I was like, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait to play it with Thompson. But now that you've already done it, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna jump in. Yeah, no, it's it's fun, man. You'll you'll get a kick out of it for sure. There's dad puns everywhere, so I like that shit. Um, I jump back onto Battlefleet Gothic again. I know that's like the one <laughs> game. <laughs> I played that for like a few hours. Um, how many concurrent players are we up to now? Uh, seven. Uh, I didn't check, but I know it doesn't dip below fifty now, so I'm. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. Um, <laughs> you know, you guys laugh, but that's really big. <laughs> so, <laughs> and this is like, it used to be like a few thousand. So, you know, I scrap with 50. I'm cool. It's like, bro, I can fit 50 people in my house. That's not a playing base. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Pete, what I'm hearing is you're hosting a 50 person fucking oh God. gothic land party. Oh, I'm Pete. just saying, if you can fit an entire online community <laughs> in a building and burn it down, it's not a community. Oh, Pete, that really <laughs> yeah, cuts deep. You, Pete, what you just said is, if you murder a community, it's no longer a community. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if you can kill an entire game's audience in one mass killing, there's not enough people playing. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's so sad. What a weird barrage. <laughs> what the fuck? Like... <laughs> Because <laughs> so. then you probably couldn't you probably couldn't fit all of Sean's guild in a house. Yeah, you could. <laughs> My guild is like twenty three people. But that's that's half of this game. That's worldwide. That's half of the game. So you're gonna kill all my guild and then say we're not a community? Great. No. <laughs> but you still have like nine million other players playing World of Warcraft. You know. Right. <laughs> this this game would be gone. <laughs> My point is, you couldn't kill everyone in that place. <laughs> I mean, you could with like a bomb, though. Yeah, but that would like affect the world economy because people actually like live and play. That's true. It's a significant percentage of the world population. Yeah. Oh lord. Um. Uh, yeah. So that's sad. Um. Moving on. I uh. I got. It. I was playing some pub as usual, some heroes as usual. Uh, I jumped back into Mech Warrior Online, which. I know it's not like um, well known, but that's the that Mech BattleTech series game I had mentioned a long time ago, and I know Pete and uh, Pete and I did like a let's play on it like years ago. But you know, jumped back into that for like five six hours, uh, got my ass stomped. Uh, uh, there's another game that came out called Crossout, which it's made by the Gaijin team, or I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, uh, the people who made War Thunder. But it's neat because you can. Um, like, what was that last Banjo-Kazooie game where you built your own cars? Um, nuts and bolts. Nuts and bolts, or whatever. Like, so that car creator thing you can do in this game, uh, but it's like a multiplayer arena shooter with cars, and every match is, like, seriously, like, two minutes. So I can get, like, 15 matches in, in a half hour, usually. Uh, and it's it's a blast, dude. I made this one, this one uh, car with, like, 15 layers of armor in the front, so it can't get shot in the sides Jesus. or the rear without getting blown up within like two seconds, but it's just a giant ram. So I just slam into people and have fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, take, it could take fucking three howitzer shots before the armor goes away. So that's pretty good. But Andy, back to your thing. Throw all the other <laughs> shits out of the way. Foxhole. Holy shit! Let me tell you about Foxhole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this fucking game starts up so innocently. You just kind of spawn into a map and a server, and it's it's very, very early access right now, um, but it's very solid. I have never been disconnected from anything, and I've never had any glitches yet. So you are in a war, and you have the option to do whatever the fuck you want to do. If you want to go to the front lines and fight, you can do that. 
if you want to go get the weapons to bring to the front lines, you can do that. If you want to go a step back to say to go build the weapons, you have you can do that too. Um, even getting the basic materials to get even a truck to get it to build the weapons. Every step of the way, it acts like a like a simulation of a real war. So if if uh, you work on it, like this happened to me, I worked on some howitzer shells for seriously two fucking hours. I was bringing sixty howitzer shells, which is a is a lot, to uh, the front line on the eastern side of this one map. I'm so proud of myself. I'm driving these these shells over in the middle of our base, all of our zone. There is a squad of three dudes blocking a bridge. Um, never expected this to happen. So I'm driving along the bridge, and they shot a rocket into the front of my thing. I lost all my shells. So two hours of work right down the drain. Um, that was the only time I played logistics. Uh, but th this game is a fucking blast. You you get so many people who like role play into it too. So like a, a shell lands. And like people are uh, bleeding out, and there's people screaming like "Medic, I need help! Oh God, I can see the light!" You know, people are really, people are really into this game. And uh, I mean, it's like it's very casual, but like it's so much, it's so much fun. And you will, you will spend some time trying to like figure it out because it's a little complicated. But seriously, jo join it, get with like a friend, or just jump with anybody who's in a car and just play it for yourself to experience it it's it's really fun man i i have not had so much fun with a game like this in in like honestly a couple years like there's not been uh not like you know like i had zelda and everything too but this game just kind of fits this weird war niche that i have and i don't know like it's kind of like arma in that respect because it's very uh it's got a very good community but i don't i, don't, I haven't played a game like this in so long so I'm, I'm real hype about it like in the last two days or three days I since I bought it, I have put fifteen hours into this game. So cool. that's pretty much almost all I played. Yeah, I, I saw you've been playing it a lot, and I was like, hmm. Yeah, dude, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, Casey and Ozzy have it, and the three of us are on for a bit, but it's mostly just been me playing it. So I will join any other friends who want to play. Cool, cool. cool. What about you, Sean? It's been uh, it's been a lot of the usual. World of Warcraft, um, finally up to a very difficult boss, so it's it's been fun. Uh, we're still two hundred in the world or in the United States. That's fucking badass. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, if you're listening and you're looking for a guild, hit me up. Um, <laughs> if you're good though, don't be like Andy. <laughs> yeah, don't hit me up if you're not good, please. Um, but if you're good, I'll talk to you. <laughs> Yo, name drop the guild. Beyond the Flame, Storm Rage, Alliance, let's go. Uh, and then Heroes of the Storm, lots of that. Pokemon trading card game, still playing that. Love it. Oh, Sean, I I uh, I have that on my list. That's my next game I'm playing. Dude, really? When you play <laughs> it, you have to hit me up. Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, like my friends got me a Mewtwo deck a couple like months ago. Um, my fr uh, so like I haven't had a chance to play that with anyone, and like I just I want to play that game again because it's I like just learned how to play that like this year. Really? So, yeah, I had never played like I had the cards, I just never played the game, you know, until maybe uh, February. Yeah. So they got you the they got you like they bought you a physical deck, right? Yeah, yeah, physical deck. Okay, I'm playing the online version. Oh yeah, but like it's the same, right? It's the same cards and all that. Yeah, you can. So um, you got the physical deck. It should have come with a code. You can use that code to get the exact oh. same cards in the online game. I gave it to them. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that sucks. They might still have it. I could just text them, you know? Yeah. I legit I legit have 
uh, like like right here. Like this is a, a a code for a free pack of cards and shit. Yep. Hmm. Like I have a bunch of I have a bunch of these. So I got I got to get into that shit. Speaking of which, I actually played a game of Hearthstone this week for the first time, and I was like, "Yo, this is pretty fun." Oh man, good. Pete, join me in all the Scrolls Legends, please. <laughs> I might, I might. I, I'm gonna pick up one of these games. I don't know, I don't know which one I'll actually play, but I'm gonna try them all. I am on the verge of playing Star Wars: The Old Republic for the first time. Oh shit! Oh, real? If you do, I will play that again, hundred percent. Yo, I love let me that know. Game. If you do it, I'll download it too. I'll roll a character. I, that game is so awesome. much fun. I already have like three people lined up to play with me. So if you guys join, we have a squad. Nice. Yo, let's do it. Like, yeah, let's all roll newbies. Yeah. Are you? Uh, like, that'll be fun as fuck. You looking to play? I've always Empire? wanted to play through that story, and I never got exactly. To. I'm gonna play Alliance or uh, okay, you know, Jedi or whatever. Okay, Republic. Republic. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right. I, I'll join you guys. I know that's not your style. <laughs> but it's okay i just like the classes better in uh the empire side on that game but you know i actually haven't played too much on the other republic so that'll be new for me too knights of the old republic is my favorite game ever uh and it's it's quite frankly it's not even close um yeah (laughs) just because you haven't played persona 5 (laughs) (laughs) no real talk it's because you haven't played mass effect (laughs) you you might be right i'm not even gonna i i I can't argue against that i and i still have it it's still wrapped. Play <laughs> Now let's let's, let's do the old public. The pr- plastic rat prince again. If you don't play that fucking plastic game. rat prince, holy I, shit! I don't like that. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds like oddly sexual for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it, it, like a giant condom, man. Oh. <laughs> this is the most NSFW version or episode of the show we've ever done already. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Um, Pete's the one talking about rape dicks uh, that you got to beat up in games, and then uh, plastic it's not my wrap. Fault that, that, those are the things that happen in Persona. You just okay? happen to be the one to talk about them. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, minor news article I'm going to throw in right now because it just showed up in my Facebook news feed. Oh, Atlas this weekend announced a Persona Five anime next year. What? Ooh. Yeah, they did. Uh, good. By that point, I'll probably be full in. I'll be a, a whole Persona Five fan. Yeah. Then, so. <laughs> Um, they did a Persona 4 anime that was pretty good. They got all of the uh, the Japanese voice actors back. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. But, alright, that's going to wrap it up for what we're playing this week. Uh, and that's going to take us into our rotating segment this week, which is going to be a buy or sell. So, for this week, uh, I've got for you guys buy or sell on single or multiplayer games. Huh. You monster. <laughs> <laughs> You fucking monster. The other the other one I had was equally bad. Does multiplayer mean like if a game even includes it but has a single player or do you have to take one aspect of it? Yeah, you can only play the single player version of it. So it's like, you okay. know, something like Battlefield. Like you could play Battlefield but you can only play the single player. Hmm. Multiplayer games. Yeah, multiplayer. Then I'm not surprised yeah. you said that one, Sean. I mean, obviously with WoW. Yeah, and and my my experience is growing up. I have three siblings. You know, all of that would be gone. There's no like fighting games. Forget it. No way. Multiplayer. Yeah, well, pretty much all your favorite genres are multiplayer games. I mean, I I love role playing games. Don't get me wrong. RPGs are. I mean, my favorite game ever is 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 not a multiplayer game. But I'm just I'm not an only child. I didn't have that experience. I always had friends around. I just, I have, it has to be multiplayer. Okay. So, Thompson, you said the same thing. Why? 
Uh, I love my single player games like Metal Gear Solid and, and all those other, you know, and like tons of RPGs that are single player. But I find myself going toward multiplayer games when I want to have more fun. Like I love Factorio, right? It's it's just a game where I could sit for a single player forever and play it. But if I jump on with Casey or somebody else or even a rando, I have a lot more fun with it. You know, like Civilization Five. I love that game. I've put like 1400 hours in, but I like playing with people with it, too. You know, like it's not the same when you have a game that can have people in it and it's not this it's not like a, an uncharted you know like it's it just is a single player game or like the last of us just is a single player game and i would trade the last of us which is basically my favorite game ever to play multiplayer games so that's where i stand all right what about you Andy? oh i'm gonna i'm gonna take the opposite tack here i would take single player games and it's like i i don't want to say it's not hard because i like have some treasured multiplayer games and experiences <clears> like you know how I feel about TF2 and how much League I played, and I just talked up Persona for an hour, but, like, so much of the really personal, like, gaming experiences for me have been single-player. Like, I, you know, I deal with depression and anxiety on, like, an everyday basis, and while I was trying to figure out my meds this spring, and I was all over the place, Persona 5 was, like, a godsend to just kind of curl up in, and single-player games for that, or for me, have always been that kind of like emotional security blanket where if I need to lock myself away from the world and just like live in a fantasy high school for seven hours, I can do that. <laughs> and just across the board from like Persona to Mass Effect to Knights of the Old Republic to every Metal Gear Solid game, I like, I don't know where I'd be without like single player story driven gaming experiences. How about you, Peter? I'm inclined to agree. Um, I I think I I very much come down on that the same way where when I think of, like, the most fun I have with games, it's when I'm playing with other people. You know, I would say, like, multiplayer experiences when you're playing with your friends, you know, over Discord for a few hours or, you know, like, the amazing fun of, like, a couch co-op game, you know. Like, when I think of what are some of the most fun times I've had with games. It's been those kinds of experiences. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> I shudder to think, like, where some of my friendships would be if I didn't have, like, communal gaming experiences and stuff like that, you know? However, I think of the, the, the gaming experiences that have been the most formative to me as a person or, like, as a creator or whatever um, have all been single-player experiences, you know? And I think about, like, what are my favorite games of all time? And it's single-player story-driven experiences that I always come back to. And as much fun as I have experiencing a game with someone else or having those, like, water cooler kind of like, oh, that remember that crazy thing that happened in PUBG or we made this amazing play in, Le play in League or something? Um, and those, like, totally have their own kind of storytelling value, right? It's those stories that you build by interactions with your friends or whatever or with other players. But there's not anything like, for me anyway, like as a consumer of art, when you're playing a single player game that you're really deeply invested in and like your mind is with it all the time, you know, like you're always thinking about when's the next time you can get back in and log a couple more hours in and that like when you're really in it and you've been playing for a little while and you're just by yourself and the world is quiet and you're just really intimately engaged with this thing in that way. I feel like is just such a special, unique experience that I really wouldn't trade for anything else. Same. 
but Pete, you will lose your Pokemon showdown, but I'll lose the core RPGs. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's the thing is like, that yeah. would really be hard. And like, I would miss that. I would miss playing Overwatch. I would miss playing games with you guys online. But to think that I, I would not have had like the experience I had with Horizon earlier this year, you know, or like not have that like moment of like playing Zelda and getting that first like big sweeping panoramic view and just having that like childlike moment of just like excitement and that just like inescapable kind of just like feeling of joy that I get from those kinds of experiences, you know? Nice. It's well said. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for our buy or sell this week. If you guys want to send your own buy or sell in, remember you can email us uh, email us, excuse me, at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's the comics with an S pals at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send us a buy or sell, question of the week, any of that stuff, please send them in. Saves me a little bit of time when I'm making the show. <laughs> All right, so I guess that means it's time for... The news, the news, we talking about the news, the news, the news, we talking about the news. All right, so we've got five items on the news list this week. Uh, it was a pretty light news week, but we've got a couple interesting things to dive into. Uh, the number one is uh, that new JRPG hotness keeps coming with Square Enix announcing that Dragon Age, or Dragon Age, excuse me, wishful thinking, Dragon Quest Eleven is coming to North America in 2018. So, Squeenix has confirmed that the game is currently in the process of being localized and that fans could expect it to come to the West sometime next year. The game was released this past weekend, so for us, like today, I think, um, in Japan for the PS4 and the 3DS, uh, with a Nintendo Switch version coming at un pre uh, currently unspecified time. Um, there's no word yet on what platforms it's going to come to in the West, but the publisher has said we can expect more info on the game come this fall. So... You know, we don't really know exactly what that means. I'm guessing if we're going to hear about it in the fall, maybe this is like a spring-summer game or early quarter 2018. But Andy, as our JRPG boy, what do you think? Wow, um, I'm offended for Thompson on that, but... <laughs> well, we all yeah. like JRPGs. I like... like not going to lie, I've never played that much Dragon Quest. Um, it's always been one of those series where it's like, yeah, I should probably check that out. But, like, there's just... There's only so much time, and between the Final Fantasies and the Chrono Triggers and the 12 hours I put into Kingdom Hearts and the Personas and whatever, <laughs> Dragon Quest has always kind of fallen by the wayside. But, like, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Um, I'd like to play it on the Switch, maybe on the 3DS if it comes to that. I know they just put 7 and 8 on the 3DS, and it was apparently pretty good. Yeah, those are, those are games I've been meaning to try and, like, double back to if I have some time on my 3DS. But, like don't think i'm going to with persona 5 now yeah. but uh <laughs> I, I was a big fan of dragon quest when i was younger i played i think what was it i know they brought eight and nine i think nine was the one that was on the ps2 that had the like very like full scale dragon ball z looking models and everything yeah um that's the last one i played and that was like i think the last like really well received single player one because i think 10 was or maybe it was 10 and then 11 was the weird online one or whatever no, this one's 11, so 10 was the weird online one. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, that was the last one I played, and I liked it quite a bit. And I, I played, um, I don't remember what numbers they were, but they were on the Game Boy. They had, like, decent ports when we yeah. were younger. I mean, like, the, um, the Dragon Quest Slime is one of the more iconic monsters in video games. Right, yeah. So it's like, I don't know, I feel like these games are really big in Japan, and they're super, super niche in the West. 
but I wonder if this is gonna do better because it's gonna be on the Switch and like is it like yeah I mean like it says just we don't know uh, what you said before we don't know what platforms the game's coming to on the West like I mean we could yes. assume it's gonna be on the Switch but like do you do you know what's gonna yeah. be on there? I would no, we don't know, but I would assume because right? like, like it, it's foolish to not put it on there. Like it's not even on my radar at this point if it's not on the Switch, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think I think if anything, and they they port it, and they haven't said what platforms that it would come to PS4 and Switch and not 3DS. So because I googled Dragon Quest Slime real quick to see if this was still a thing, Peter, open this IGN link. And tell us, would you spend $90 on a Dragon Quest Slime DualShock 4? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Are you sure? What the fuck? What is this thing shape? It's a slime. Yeah, but, like, look, that is not a... Oh my god, no. I'm putting this in the show notes. This ne- People need to look at this. This is disgusting. <laughs> It's a fucking travesty. <laughs> oh my god. Who could hold this thing? Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> this is made for aliens? What the fuck? Why is it $90? <laughs> Who asked for this? I don't even know what this no just I I'm done. I can't even tell. Did talk you about ever this. want a controller that could double as a butt plug? Because now you got one. <laughs> yeah, that's the only use for this thing, is so you could sit on it and forget it exists. My god. Oh, Holy God. shit, dude. <laughs> anyway, what I wanted to say before we wrap this uh, this <laughs> beat on Dragon Quest was, I wonder if if the game will do better because it's on Switch and, like, right now people are so hungry for Switch games because there isn't a huge library and I think people are, like, willing to take risks on games that they probably yeah, yeah. wouldn't have like bought otherwise yeah also if they're gonna announce more in the fall like we're gonna get mario and stuff uh by the end of the year so i mean the hype for the switch should be, be built up more by then and it would be a good time to announce something coming on later you know people looking oh i'm gonna get a switch for christmas because you know like mario and all those games i look forward to dragon quest coming up next year you know so yeah it would be good timing to talk about it if it's on the switch i mean it it would be foolish not to be so Speaking of Nintendo, Nintendo has confirmed that you're going to need four Amiibos to access all the content in Metroid Samus Returns. Hmm. So we reported a a few weeks back that the upcoming 3DS game Metroid Samus Returns would be launching alongside two Metroid Amiibo, uh, one for Samus and one for the titular titular Metroid monsters. Um, However, the game also supports functionality with the two Samus Amiibo that were released with Super Smash Bros. So... Obviously, if you're a Nintendo fan, this is all fairly par for the course. This was very similar to how Amiibo were handled in Breath of the Wild. Um, But Nintendo made some waves this week when a representative confirmed to Eurogamer that these Amiibo will act as a gate to content that is otherwise unobtainable. Uh, Saying, quote, this unlockable content is only unlocked using Amiibo. So the Return Samus Amiibo, which is just an Amiibo of Samus in kind of like a crouched position with her gun. I don't know why I mimed that to you guys, (laughs) because audio (laughs) listeners can't see that. (laughs) (laughs) The plain Samus Amiibo that's released for the game uh, unlocks an extra energy tank for you to use in the game and then unlocks an an exclusive Metroid 2 art gallery after you complete the game. Then the Metroid Amiibo will allow you to reveal the location of any nearby, nearby Metroid on your map and then after you complete the game will unlock a new difficulty mode called Fusion Mode where you can use Samus's suit from the Metroid Fusion game. Uh, and then there's the Smash Samus Amiibo that's going to unlock a missile tank 
and then after beating the game, unlocks extra concept art for your gallery, and the Zero Suit Amiibo will unlock an extra energy tank, and then will allow you to listen to the game's soundtrack after you complete the game. So this is, like, all fairly standard stuff that's included in this kind of game, but I think a lot of people are kind of up in arms because this is stuff that would generally be rewarded for just beating a game, but now you have to also buy this extra content. So that obviously upset some people. Um, but what do you guys think about this? Does this matter? Like, um, um eh. <laughs> <laughs> I love literally all of you are like, eh. it, it's it's really hard. <laughs> it's a very hard answer. I mean, like it matters having amiibo as unlocking content, but something like unlocking the soundtrack that's kind of it's kind of weird, you know. Like you should just be able to get that. I will say, uh, just to add a little con of con- uh, excuse me, a little bit of context. This isn't the first time that this has happened because uh, Shovel Knight also had this, where the only way to access two-player Shovel Knight mode on the Wii U was to use the amiibo, and that's the only up until the Switch version was the only way to play two-player Shovel Knight. What? You can even do that on other platforms though. That's so it was like on PS4 weird. and Xbox, whatever. There was no two-player. Mm, that, that's weird. Yeah, that rubs me the wrong way. That's that's content gating behind the paywall on a game you already purchased. Especially something like two like two player mode, you have to buy an amiibo to to play with a friend. That's crazy. It's it's interesting because it's console exclusive too. Like now hmm. on the Switch, you don't need to do that. You can just do it without the amiibo, right. and it, now it's just in the game. But you still can't do two player on PS4 or Xbox, to my knowledge. So, but that's just an example. Take it back to this Samus and uh, you know Samus Return stuff. What do you guys think about this? Like. This art, there's an art gallery, there's the soundtrack, but then I think the thing that's probably more serious maybe is this fusion mode, which is like a new game plus where you get a new suit and yeah, everything. That's the only one I like have a problem with. Cause like stuff like the soundtrack or a bonus missile tank or energy tank or whatever is like that's whatever. But like Yeah, I think especially the bonus items are kind of like very whatever. Yeah, but like, I don't know, it seems weird and not great to have a whole game mode gated behind an inf- or uh, amiibo that's the word i was looking for yeah it's it says too that um the smash samus unlocks missile tank after you beat the game and the fusion thing is for after you beat the game so like well no no, no. you get the you get the missile tank and stuff before you beat the game you get yeah. the art gallery or additional stuff after so most of them give you something before oh, you beat oh, the game the and concept something art. after you beat the game okay i didn't yes. see that part yeah um well, yeah, so, like, I don't care about the in-game stuff so much, but I, I just think it's kind of weird that they don't want to give you the concept art and the sound test. Like, that's... And sound, uh, soundtrack, that's... I don't know why you'd want to even block that for any reason. Like, people yeah. don't care about that crap to start. Like, I I know maybe, like, one person who's ever cared about, like, oh, man, the soundtrack's on this game. Let me get it off, you know, like, from the, the thing and, like, some art gallery. You look at it for five minutes and you're you're cool, but... It's like... My thought there is like maybe their 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 thought process there is like if you're the kind of hardcore Metroid fan that cares about an art gallery or having the soundtrack that you're probably gonna buy the amiibo anyway, right? Yeah, but then just you know, I don't know. It it, just, it seems silly to attach that to anything. Like specifically the fusion mode that Andy was talking about, I have a real problem with because that's that is like a like a new game plus mode that they don't want you to have right off the bat. But it it's weird to me that like very weird to me that there's the sound and art gallery behind that wall. So let me let me posit this question to you guys too, just to play devil's advocate, right? So I think we can all agree it seems weird to lock the fusion mode at the very least beyond an, behind an amiibo. I feel like the rest of this stuff we can kind of justify, right? Is that fair I to don't say? Think so I don't think you can justify no. the soundtrack and the art being 
Yeah, that's me, really uh, that's... very weird to me. Okay, all right. So that being said, did you guys have a problem when there was the new game, not new game plus, but like the increased difficulty mode attached to Zelda's DLC pack? Well, I, I didn't know about that. Um, but so, so can you, exp- so it's just literally just a harder difficulty. Yeah. And the, the first pack of DLC for Breath of the Wild, um, one of the main things is that there's a new harder difficulty that's like way harder, but. And yeah. what else comes with that? Um, there's like a challenge mode. There's like, there's a bunch of other so content. Okay. There's like, there's some trials or some stuff, right? Yeah. There's like extra trials. There's like extra a few extra, like, just new gameplay things that you can do. And the DLC wasn't available at launch. No. Then I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. So you think that the difference here is, like, that it's available at launch? I think, I think part of it is that it's available at launch. I think that, to me, that anytime there's extra content that I could have when the game launched, yeah. but you're just going to tell me I can't because I haven't paid enough money, even though I paid the, the purchase price of the game... Uh, to me, that's always going to be stupid. Um, I think you could make an argument that um, not offering the harder difficulty portion of that DLC as free, that that's a little shitty. But at the same time, you're getting so much else that I think, all right, well, hey, if you like this game and you're still into it, here's all this extra stuff that you can have. And in conjunction with that, you get this tougher difficulty. To me, that's far more justifiable. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the the thing that... And I, I agree with you guys. I'm playing devil's advocate to push the conversation forward. But I think the thing that I think makes this the worst is that Amiibo aren't always easy to find. So, like, what if you want these and then you just can't get one? And then you're like, well, I want to play the new mode and I, there's, I can't find this specific Amiibo that I That's need. a great point. You know, the... Uh, the Metroid one, you know, or, or what if you just don't want that one? What if you only want the Samus one and you're like, yeah, I'm a diehard Metroid fan, but I just want this one. I don't want the extra one. Yeah. You know? I think they come in a two pack, but still, even so, then you're asking someone to buy a $30 two pack of Amiibo to get this additional content for a game they already paid 40 bucks. You might not even want that. Like I have no Amiibo. I don't care about Amiibo, but I would like to play this game. So, okay, so in right. order to play the game plus mode, I have to buy something I would never otherwise purchase, which now makes this game, because I didn't buy the Amiibo for the Amiibo, I bought them for the game, it makes this game a $70 game. Okay. And I think wow. for, for for specific people, I think it's fine. But yeah, I think for you, right, For there's a lot of people where like, like you know, I want to play this game, but I don't really need these two more Amiibo. Like, I, have, I collect Amiibo, but I don't need these. I'm not a huge Metroid fan. And also, I think... Again, though, right, to play devil's advocate, that being said, I probably won't play the game twice either. You know, if I play the game and beat it, I'm not necessarily going to go back and play fusion mode unless I'm a hardcore fan. Yeah. That's like, I'm probably going to play this game. But I use, like, generally, broadly speaking, don't play New Game Plus. Like, I played probably 20 25 hours into new game plus on persona and that's one of my all-time favorite games i didn't even finish it a second time through because i realized it was insane to start you know a hundred hour game days after finishing the hundred hour game but but you know what people historically go back and do for example there's lots of people who will go back and play like a pokemon game but 
set the difficulty tougher for themselves by only using certain Pokemon or by starting the game with, you know, like a tougher starter, right? Like there's so many people out there who want that extra challenge. I've done that historically. And I'm not saying I would necessarily do it for this game. I don't know. If the game's good enough and I really like the gameplay experience, I very well may. Um, don't make it so that I now have to spend 30 more dollars just to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, like, I, I get I get why people are upset about this. I definitely think, as someone who is a fan of Amiibo, I think this is one of the poor implementations we've seen of them uh, using Amiibo to grant in-game content. All right, so moving along, we've got some more news about Nintendo. Um, they Nintendo is one of the few companies that puts out their like quarterly earnings and everything. They're very above board on like lifetime sales of all their games, all their consoles. Like you can go to their website and literally look at um, like their earnings and and everything for the last from the last like thirty or forty years or whatever. So um they put out their q1 earnings and uh they give us some interesting information about how the nintendo switch is doing so the switch sold just shy of 2 million units in q1 of this financial year if you don't know financial years work a little different than like the calendar year they they end in march um so this is q1 of of this financial year for them um so that's down slightly from the 2.74 million that were sold last quarter uh, however, industry analysts are attributing that dip in sales pretty much 100% to the well-documented supply shortages that Nintendo's been experiencing uh, with the Switch, not a lack of demand for the console. Um, so, and then despite the, like, fervent demand, Nintendo has not adjusted their sales forecast for the year, still aiming to sell 13 million consoles by March 2018. So it seems as though they're not necessarily confident that they're going to be able to because I know that, like, we, we reported a while back that they've been pushing for more production, trying to secure more units uh, to get them out there. But it seems as though maybe they're they're not confident that they can get enough out there to get past that number. Um, but so what do you guys think of this so far? There's a little more to get into, but, I mean, $2 million in the last quarter, despite production uh, issues, is pretty good. That's great. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, I mean, j- just like $2 million, it's like just under a third less than the last sale quarter but like that's still a shitload of consoles i mean that that's great that's a very yeah. healthy market and if the demand is still there which it is i mean it doesn't it's not going to break the system you know to have a small dip right, right now i don't think it's it's fine you know people want it still and the hype is real and the more we get out the better it's it's also probably worth noting that um may is i think it was may anyway was the one month since the since the switch came out that it didn't have a major exclusive uh come out too so that would also mm. probably attribute to a small dip because sales spiked uh every time they've put out a new game you know yeah and splatoon just came out too so that doesn't right. account this, for this this is only going up until the end of june so that's not even this isn't even taking splatoon into account Right, yeah. So the next quarter should be good too, then, because you know people got new games that they want to play, and if they if nothing else hit them yet, then maybe they're Splatoon fans. Well, it also sounds like <clears throat> I think you said they they're attributing the the slight dip one hundred percent to production. Yeah, that's that's what all the like quotes from industry analysts are saying is like the demand is clearly there for the console. The software is selling really well. It's just an issue of they can't get them on the shelves. Yeah. So then in that case, I mean they they have nothing to worry about except ramping up their production which apparently they can't do so you know 
They're doing they're they, doing as well as they literally they're selling as well as they possibly can in their circumstances right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really good. <laughs> I don't remember the exact details, but I, I remember reading an article on why the Switch's production is slow, and it has something to do with the screen because it's like Apple iPhones are using yeah, them. Apple yeah, the new the new the, iPhone uses the same tech. Right, so they they share the tech, and basically Nintendo can't get priority over iPhones. Yeah, they're competing so directly with Apple. Basically, the reason if you can thank Apple, wow. <laughs> it's just like the yeah. screen happens to be the same thing. So, yeah, and like interestingly enough, I know that. Um, so, like friend of the show, we mentioned a couple times this guy we play with, uh, play games with Casey, also is a Switch owner. And when I uh, held his Switch for the first time recently, um, I think Andy was there with me as well. We realized that his Switch was actually different than ours oh really like the build the build quality was different and not that it was worse but like um if you've ever held a switch like all three of us have identical switches all of our joy cons in the back have that like smooth matte finish and the very like uh tight screen his was like more hard plastic and it was a little bulkier oh and it was like oh wow so i guess like they're literally maybe even going to different manufacturers to try and get more out there hmm that is very interesting, yeah, if they want to, like, third-party it out. That's, like, been a thing with the 3DS for a long time, is the screen variants, and, like, they do... I forget the, like, the types of screens they have, but there's two, and in, like, the hardcore 3DS people community, you can, like, sell one that has two of the good screens for a significant amount of money. And I, I think that was an issue with the Vita, too, for a while, where there was, like... Uh, a run of them that had like not great screens because they were flipping around product produ- uh, production companies or whatever um but yeah definitely not a quality issue with those ones the one he used like i was playing with it it works just as well as mine it just feels different like you touch it and you're just like oh wow like there's it's just a different material which is weird but um so like I said, there's a little bit more to pile through, uh, to pour through here that I think is inter- relevant to this discussion anyway about the Switch. Um, so despite all these production woes, um, this has been like a really successful quarter for Nintendo for the first time in a while. Uh, so the company is reporting revenue of one, uh, 154 billion yen, which translates to 1.37 billion uh, US, and an operating profit of 16.2 billion yen, which is 144.8 million US. Um, which are both significant improvements over last year's quarter where the company was, um, they had reported a 5.1 billion yen operating loss as they were dealing with the transition between the Wii U and the Switch. So this is a huge uh, swing in the other direction. And um, this was in part uh, attributed to the success of not only the Switch, but software sales on the Switch. So just to give you guys some uh, lifetime sales units here, uh, in... This last quarter, when Mario Kart 8 uh, was released, it sold 3.54 million units on the Switch. Uh, ARMS um, broke uh, a million, which is great. It's 1.18 million for ARMS. And then just in this last quarter, Breath of the Wild sold 1.16 million with 3.92 million units sold uh, to date. So hmm. pretty much all the first-party software is doing really well. Even... Um, uh, 1-2 Switch was on this list too. Like it moved a decent amount of units. It was like, I think 1.2 million in the last uh, block. So that's pretty good. I'm embarrassed to be one of those 1.2 million. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. Um, 
so I mean, this is great news for these games, all doing really well. I was surprised by that ARMS number. Like, what do you guys think about that? 1.18 million for ARMS is pretty good. Yeah. It's like for a brand new, pretty niche IP, like that's pretty cool. I wonder um, how many of them are people like me who got the the uh, the package that had you know three games those the three games you mentioned are the, the games I got. Sales. Yeah, I don't, that's I the bundle of games know. I got. So yeah, it's interesting that those are the three that you listed too. I wonder how many fit into that category with Switch sales as well. You know, probably a few. I would say probably like a decent percentage of them. Um, and then the last little like interesting bit here about Switch sales was that Switch actually sold. Uh, a little over 3 million more units of software than the 3DS did in this Ooh. past quarter. So I think I think we're seeing more and more of the Switch being poised to kind of take the, you know, the lead uh, as Nintendo's golden boy. So it's great. Do you know if the, those units of software for the sales are counted for, like, the digital stuff that you can download? I believe it is. Well, that's good then, because people are trying to get those those games that they wanted from the eShop on the Switch now, so... Yep. Nice. So yeah, so it's looking good. Nintendo's in a good spot. They're making money. The Switch is healthy. Um, and as long as they can get more units out of this thing, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape here. Yeah. So good good time to be a Nintendo fan. Um, so there are tons of other like little bits of information that we could pick through from this uh, from these quarterly earning, earnings reports, but I don't want to sit here and talk about numbers for too much longer. I can see everybody starting to glaze over. Uh, so if you guys want to pick through this, uh, we have got links down below where you can go check out the earnings report for yourself. I also linked to articles from The Verge and CNBC who've done a little bit of like kind of a deep dive into it. If you want someone to parse the, uh, you know, legal speak for you or whatever. So you can go check that out if you're interested. Uh, or if you want to ask questions or, you know, raise questions about any of the stuff that we didn't touch on, like uh, some of Nintendo's success in the mobile market where they made a ton of money this year for the first time. Uh, you can send us an email uh, at thecomicspals at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to talk about it next week. Or, you know, comment below, any of that stuff. And uh, we'll we'll definitely jump in if you guys are interested. So, moving right along, uh, speaking of financials, despite the weak launch, EA seems to consider Mass Effect Andromeda a financial success. Oh, well, that's going to be is, fun. <laughs> it's surprising. So, I, I want to dig into this quote and see what you guys think this means. Um... So this quote comes from uh, the CFO of EA, Blake Jorgensen, who says, quote, year-on-year growth was driven by Mass Effect Andromeda sales ca- uh, captured in the quarter and by FIFA. Digital net sales were $681 million, a new record for the first quarter, and up $113 million on the year-ago period. The increase reflects strength in live services together with our mobile business. In addition, Mass Effect Andromeda was a significant contributor. Full game PC and console downloads generated net sales of 111 million, uh, 32% higher than last year. This was driven by Mass Effect Andromeda sales captured in the quarter. So I thought this was interesting because that's three times in this quote that he calls out Mass Effect Andromeda as being a significant contributor to their Q1 like sales success. And this seems weird, given EA's kind of relative silence about the game. Um, We reported a few weeks ago that there are rumors that um, the sequel and story DLC for the game have all been canceled. Uh, We know for a fact that the game's development team has been broken up, and most of them are now working on uh, Anthem, you know, at Bioware's other studio. So what do we think? Is this... Is this PR speak? But it's to an investor's meeting. So, like, that's not a thing that... There's no benefit to lie about it. If it was really an embarrassment, you think they just wouldn't mention it, right? There's all the reason to lie. Seriously. Like, you're talking about money and a company that's 
objective is to make money and to the investors who support them they want to make them confident that they're not gonna you know lose their investment and they're gonna make returns on the investment so it could be true but i think he he's probably expanding it a little bit more than it, what it really is i don't think i don't know i don't think andromeda is like like culture right now like you know as many people who have, may have bought it or even played it or didn't care about the negative hype or the positive hype and just wanted to experience it like i know you have a copy pete so it, it doesn't say that the game is great but i don't think that it's it's not like you just everyone everyone picked up a copy of andromeda and then that like blew the sales through the roof you know people got it and that was it yeah i think i think that's probably significant i think that just because the game sold well doesn't mean that there's demand for DLC or for a sequel. Because I think they were probably lucky that they were able to capitalize off of, to your point, people like me who are nostalgic for Mass Effect and hoped for the best and bought a copy anyway. Yeah, I, th I think that's really where the game like lived this time. I don't think it's going to you know, continue doing what they're saying. It, it's like doing really good. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Well, this thing is like I don't even I like I I don't read this and think of this as a lie. I think that it's just no, not no. necessarily it, indicative of how they feel about the game overall. Right. I don't I don't think he's like flat out lying. I just think he might be trying to keep his investors happy and saying like, "Oh, we're doing great. Everything's great. If you've heard about a bad game, sure. it doesn't matter. It makes money. It doesn't matter, you know." I think he just wants to tell people who pay their, you know, they take their money and give it to him so that he can have a company and he's saying your money's in good hands. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Um I wasn't sure how to feel about this one way or the other, so I went through the article that we're looking at, and there was a really uh, good comment, or at least what I thought was a good comment, that added some context for me, not really understanding how this kind of thing works. Uh, so I'll just read some of the comment. Um, so basically, EA works like this. For every dollar spent on development, they spend about 80 cents on marketing and product, marketing that product. They, they then have distribution and printing costs, which are about 10% of development costs. So even if they sold 1.5 million copies, 63% at full price, 37% at wholesale, they didn't really make much if they even recouped their development plus marketing and advertising. something else. Oh, advertising, yeah. which probably ran about 70 to $75 million in total. So the fact is they could have lost money on the franchise but having enough sales that for revenue purposes, but not profitability purposes, it could have a significant, it could have been a significant item. Remember, sales are not profits. There are costs associated with them. And if this had been profitable, they'd have not canceled the DLC and shoved the property. That's a comment for, oh, you're right. <laughs> so there, there you go. That's the whole thing. I was about to read my, my additional message on Skype. But yeah, that's. That is very interesting. Yeah. Right, right. And I think I think that's where you have to look at this at the context that this wasn't a public statement. Right. This is a statement to investors. And I think to your point, Thompson, maybe this is their way of saying like, hey, yeah, this game was a failure, but like it didn't significantly affect our bottom line. Yeah, we, we broke even at the very least and don't worry about it, you know, for now. Yeah. And that, like, it doesn't hurt their operating costs, like, because I know, like, again, like, they broke up the Bioware studio, but most of those people still have jobs. That's a that's another weird decision, I think, breaking up the studio. I understand Anthem wants, like, they want to have, uh, I think know. it's just they want all hands on deck for Anthem, and, like, they're realizing that splitting this team up is not doing them any good. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, But, I mean, 
can, I'm not like sure about this. I'm just questioning. Can we say that the team who worked on Andromeda was the problem, or was it like the timetable or something? Is it good to have that team on another game? We don't know how I mean, that's going to work. We don't work. know for sure. I mean, the timetable yeah. is obviously, I think, the most significant contributor to Mass Effect Andromeda not being good. You know, yeah. there's a great article from Kotaku that you can uh, read called, uh, I think it's like the, f- I think it's just called Mass Effect's Troubled Development Cycle or something like that. If you Google that and Kotaku, it'll come up though. Uh, and it's it's a really long, in-depth news piece about what the development cycle was like there and how the oh. majority of the game yeah, was yeah, developed yeah. in like the last year and a half. Um, and it was, it was a mess. So I'm sure that was the bigger problem than it was that team. Okay. But I also get why the way that they are probably looking at Anthem as their next big project that they want all hands on deck and they don't want to split the talent there when they do need more people working on this game. And they probably know that like this game needs to be good because like they're, they, this, no matter how you slice it, right? Like the negative buzz around Mass Effect 3's ending and then Mass Effect Andromeda and then Inquisition not being that great either. Like, Bioware's, like, legacy or their, like, stamp of quality is meaning less and less. Yeah, it's it's certainly getting diminished, and that's kind of sad as a huge fan of the games. And, you know, I know I know you are too, so... Yeah, it's just, absolutely. It's not like I don't ever want to see these games fail. I root for them, you know, and I, I am upset that they're, like, not up to what the par should be for them. You know, yeah, and I, I honestly think that's probably the big impetus beyond this like shift up there is like they really want to give Anthem the attention it deserves because people are excited about it, and if this comes out and is really good, then Bioware is fine, you know, and like they their their legacy is you know like another secure. five years of glory. <laughs> yeah, we've got another five years, you know, to make the next Dragon Age or whatever, and then hopefully that's good. <laughs> All right, so moving on to our last item on the news list this week. Uh, Mighty Number no. 9's physical release rewards are finally delivered, and they are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how long has it been? Oh, well, yeah. so it's been over two years since their promised delivery date, which means it's been several <laughs> more years since they were actually right, bought, yeah. right? So yeah. I, don't even, I didn't even look into that, but it's been two years since they were promised. So they were supposed to be delivered to back Kickstarter backers on uh, April 2015. Or 2015? <laughs> April 2015 was the original delivery date. Here we are, July 2017. They have finally arrived. And um, they, they are almost as disappointing as the game itself. So backers uh, paid $60 for a physical boxed copy from Fangamer.com, despite the fact that the game is only available as a digital download. So they paid $60 for an empty box. They knew that already, though, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not, wait, they're not getting a disc or any, I mean, I know it's digital, no. but like, didn't even no give disc, them like a no fake disc. Not even like it's a placeholder, <laughs> not even like a blank CD. Go no. fuck yourself. <laughs> that's so, what I heard. <laughs> th- so that's context. They already knew that, though, right? So they already accepted, we're, I'm getting, I'm paying 60 bucks for a cardboard box with a logo <laughs> on it. Fine. Um, oh, boy. And. It uh, was also supposed to come with a uh, a game manual packaged inside the box, right? That's that's fun. It's important to say that again. Inside the box. Okay. Uh, so again, it was promised as a quality collector's item. It was this thing, even though it's only digital, it'll be a great thing for you to put on your shelf. Whatever. Fine. So people bought this. The boxes were available in two styles. One which was modeled after the NES's box, and another which was based on, if you're not familiar, the Japanese NES, the Famicom, its boxes. 
So the game's developer, Concept, uh, promised that the dimensions of the boxes would match the original boxes of the NES or the Famicom, and that they would come with the manuals packaged inside, like I said, right? So while that was fine for the NES boxes, if you got the NES boxes, you're all good to go. You folded it together, you put the manual in, you're good to go, right? Those who got the Famicom option, not so lucky. The manual included was the same size as the NES one, and if you don't know, Famicom's boxes are smaller than NES boxes, so the manual doesn't fit in the fucking box. Oh, man. <laughs> what a fucking boner. <laughs> so here we are, for this game that you spent $60 for. Horrible fucking game. You get the box two years late, and the fucking manual doesn't even fit. You know, it's gotta suck. Being the one person out there listening to this podcast, being like, "But oh, guys, I like Mighty Number no. <laughs> Oh, like we found the one Bubsy fan on the internet. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, holy shit! I can't believe that happened. So same guy. Obviously, actually. this is all this is <laughs> this is all terrible, right? But like, can we talk about the people who decided it was a good idea to spend sixty dollars on a box? <laughs> yeah, good point. Let's I, let's bring who, that up. Who are these people? But like, it's one of those things where like I can see doing that at the time without the hindsight of being like, oh, like, Keiji Inafune is going to make this Mega Man spiritual successor. I love Mega Man. He's finally away from Capcom. He can finally make the Mega Man game I want. I'm going to give him $60 just because I want them to have the money so that the project can succeed. And yeah, if I get this collector's item, that's cool. And I'm sure there are tons of diehard Mega Man fans that did that just to give them more money in good faith. And then they get this piece of shit. That, okay, yeah. I guess. I think if, it's yeah, more that. Looking at it from that perspective. That makes a lot of sense, Pete. I can see that. I just it's, but it's like for me if I want to back something I want to get something and I mean we're about to you know dive into that more sure. but I want to get something that is of quality right I want to get something that's like reflective of the thing that I'm backing like all right I want to back this anyway but give me something cool um a box ain't cool <laughs> you know it's just not cool I can't put anything in this box like it's just it's literally going to be a box why like that would be a red flag for me immediately wait a second you're offering me a box i'd rather just give you the money without getting the box i mean oh it, it is God. pretty fucked up because like i can't get over the fact that they just gave you a manual and a box and not even like a placeholder for any like game cartridge not even to make like, like a, a fake game cartridge yeah like, or a, like a plastic insert or anything like it, it would take like 10 cents of plastic to make like a, a square or a rectangle uh, you know what i mean and, and then like to to fucking bonehead the the japanese version of it that they made like in like hey it's authentic right no it's not it doesn't fit in the fucking box you idiot like these troglodytes can't even figure out how dimensions of boxes <laughs> like it's unbelievable <laughs> and, uh, that's insane i don't know how you can make a thing like this and not fit the goddamn manual in the box i don't think i've ever seen a game designer burn more goodwill <laughs> yeah really than keiji inafune yeah the seriously way he's handled this game and then like that other kickstarter that they tried to do and all this other shit like his whole career post capcom has been the biggest like let me just fuck up my legacy as much <laughs> as i can just fuck my shit up uh, this is equal to, like, if Kojima was gone and the first game he announced was the Metal Gear, like, Unicorns zombie game. And he's just like, I'm finally free! Metal Gear Unicorn Zombies! You know, like, that's that's what this guy did, you know, for my number nine. He he is the the guy, and he shat on his series. 
you know? <laughs> Dude, it, it's like actually worse than that though. Cause it, it would be worse. like, it would be like if he had come out of, out of that relationship with Konami and just been like, oh, you know what guys, I'm away. I'm going to make a new game. It's a Metal Gear spiritual successor. Sony's got my back. No one's going to get in the way of it. It's going to be completely my vision. And then it comes out and it's just like a, a game that's not finished. That's just broken. And, and it's like, just, just, and I, I just can't, I just can't believe this. With all the money they had, all the time they took, they pushed this game yeah, back this is two so years many late. times. This is two no, years. No, 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 Thompson. The physical oh, okay, rewards yeah. are right. two years late. Right. The game itself was like already three years late. So this oh, box really? is like this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like five years late. This is a slap. This is a delayed slap, like frozen in time. Someone's fucking <laughs> fist was about to hit you, and you like paused reality, and you're like, I got this. The, Fast forward the five best- years, get hit. The best thing I saw from this, it's it's a tweet that was linked in the the article that I, I am referencing in the um, descriptions down below, right? And there was a person who took a picture of the, the box of the Famicom version, not even folded up, like flattened, and how the manual was almost twice as big as it. <laughs> and he literally just took a picture and captioned it on Twitter, one last twist of the knife. <laughs> it's so it's fucked like, up. Yeah. Oh, man. This, this is great. I live for this shit. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap it up for the news this week and move us over to our meat and potatoes discussion. All righty. Talking about some Kickstarter games. <laughs> But, uh, all right, so basically we are going to uh, kind of – I want to just open the floor and discuss what's your attitude towards crowdfunded games. Uh, it doesn't have to be in light of this news specifically. But um, have you guys ever backed a game on Kickstarter? If not, have you crowdfunded anything? And why or why not? So I know Andy's got to get out of here in a few minutes, so let's let him start and and share his piece, and then we'll we'll move on to the rest so of this. So I've never crowdstar- or crowdfunded crowdstarted a video game. I, um, I've kickstarted some board games and shit, but, like, I don't think it's a, a terrible idea in theory. Like, you know, it lets games that we wouldn't otherwise see get made be made in the way their creators want them to. That's not always a good thing. See Mighty Number no. 9. I think a, a thing that you run into a real risk of, and, like, I'm starting to see this in Hollow Knight, which I've been playing on and off for a couple of weeks, but don't really have stuff to say about. Um, is that sometimes a game gets over-kickstarted. Yes. And they make all these promises that they just can't or don't execute on well. And I would much rather have seen a game, you know, do what it wanted to do and not what the Kickstarter stretch goals said they had to do. And, like, Shovel Knight's done a really good job of fulfilling those in, like, a good way. But even so, I think to the detriment of their company to a degree, in my mind. Because, like, they're like, still think, working on free Shovel Knight DLC. Right. Like, stuff that they made their money for forever ago. And, like, I'm sure they're doing fine because Shovel Knight's a huge success. But, like, they could have moved on to Shovel Knight 2 by now and been done with it. Yeah. If they weren't still doing Kickstarter stretch goals. It's just, like, the stretch goals can be basically the death of a game. But, you know, when it works, it works. Um, I do think that it's definitely more successful for the uh, video game industry than it has been for the board game industry, uh, because the board game industry is turning to Kickstarter in such a way that basically 
every game that's a massive Kickstarter success is like just a box that's overflowing with miniatures, and that makes games more expensive. And like, I like minis; they're cool, but I don't need every game to have you know eight thousand plastic mechs involved. Right. Kingdom Death is the perfect example for what you're saying, Andy. Yeah, did you spend sixteen hundred dollars on that Kickstarter, Thompson? No. For good reason, because I didn't want 800 minis, like you said, and the game's great, and I'll just use paper cutouts and, like, you know, use yeah. my imagination, you know? Exactly. So, I, I wanted to touch on a point that you made there, right, where I think that's kind of my issue with kickstarting games, is, like, I've never done it either, and save for Shovel Knight, every game I've considered kickstarting, I don't regret not doing it. You know, like Shovel Knight's the only one I wish I could go back in time and be like, yeah, I would love to have some of those stretch rewards. But like, I just don't really think it's a good funding, um, like platform for video games because of how long it takes video games to be developed. You know, it's like you have to promote a game that's either already being worked on or in most cases, it's a game that hasn't been touched at all. Like in the case of like, Shovel Knight or Ukulele or whatever, it's like there's maybe a little tiny bit done or you have proof of concept, but then you have to go away for two or three or four years in some cases, depending on the size of your team, and make this game in a bubble. And by that point, like, is that idea even still like something people are looking for? Has someone come out and done it better? Like, did you realize that some of the things you promised were things you couldn't execute on? Like, I feel like, the, or in the Shovel Knight's case, right, where like everything's good, but they're still making Shovel Knight DLC that they're not being able to charge again for, you know, where they could have made a second or third game by this point. Yeah. And like, I definitely, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's like a lot of problems with it as like a, as a model. I think it's, it's interesting. And it's like, it's good to see those like smaller success stories happen. You know, like Shovel Knight is like, I'll take every mighty number nine happening. And I feel bad for the people who got fleeced on mighty number nine and it's fucking box. (laughs) (laughs) but like i'll take that for a shovel knight any day of the week i take a hundred of those for one shovel knight i really agree i really do because shovel knight is like it's worth it uh that's gonna be it for me pals um catch me next week on another fantastic episode of the comics pals (laughs) (laughs) all right talk to everybody later take care man peace man see you next week buddy all right, so to kick those questions to you guys, have either of you ever crowdfunded a game? No, but bringing up right off what you guys were saying with the smaller success stories, one thing that I find very interesting about kickstarting games and crowdfunding games is th- things like bigger developers doing it, too. Um, for example, Pillars of Eternity is an RPG developed by Obsidian Entertainment and successful RPG game, and they made Tyranny and um, a couple other games that... Um, I've mentioned right. before, they and made so Knights of the Old Republic too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yes, I'm just did. mentioning more recent games because their own uh, their their publisher rather is a uh, is usually Paradox Interactive now, and Paradox has a habit of DLC everything. Like you know, uh, Crusader Kings two has like 40 DLC, and only about 30 of them, uh, or like sorry, um, 10 of them are are non cosmetic, but the 10 that aren't, you know, that are just non-cosmetic they're like 15 dollars each so they have a tendency to do this kind of shit to get as much money out of people as possible um obsidian's crowdfund or you know kickstarter uh pillars of eternity too it's very weird to me they're they're an established company they've made fallout new vegas you know i don't know why they need to turn to a crowdfunding thing to create a sequel to an already popular game 
unless they don't have money. I don't know how that works. Or maybe they want more money. I don't know what it is. I think based on, and like, I can't speak to their uh, situation specifically. I haven't heard anybody talk about it or anything, but like just anecdotally from other people who've used it. I mean, a great example of a creator who's had a lot of success on Kickstarter is Tim Schafer uh, from yeah. Double Fine. And I think a lot of people lobbied that same kind of thing of just like, oh, well, you guys are Double Fine. Like, you can't find someone to make this game. And in the case of them, they couldn't. The whole reason they went to Kickstarter was because nobody wanted to fund a point-and-click adventure well, yeah. at that time, yeah, you know, I... and... That was how they got I funded. I agree with it. you. So maybe that is Obsidian's problem is like they can't find someone who's willing to bank on a sequel to this game, but they're hoping that there's an audience out there. I, mean, I agree with you, but dude, they, they keep making new games like in this genre, you know, with the uh the the, the old school Baldur's Gate kind of feel, that, that top down isometric RPG shit. Um, you know, they make it, like Tyranny came out, um it, it's the same concept, uh, the way it's played, with a different storyline. It's like they have a team. They are making these games. Why they need to make Another one as a crowdfunding game, it confuses me very much. Um, I, I really don't know the reason why, and that's like just a question for another day. But I, I like to see the success stories of smaller games, but it's starting to get weird that I'm seeing more and more larger uh, companies, you know, crowdfunding for this stuff. And I know that they want to make a good game too. They, they do care about their products, um, it seems, but it's just a little weird that they're so established and they're turning to the community for more money, you know, because you might get something bad in return. You know, it's, it's weird when you're like, you know, Blizzard saying, Hey, we're going to make a game. You can pre-order it. Right. You know, it's going to be good. I mean, yeah, but I, I do want to just interject real quick. I, there's a really big difference between obsidian. No, and I know. Blizzard. No, I know. I'm not you know, like, they're not the like, same. I just want to say though, it's like, I, we, I think we look at obsidian as a big company. Cause like they made new Vegas or whatever, but like, they made New Vegas, but Bethesda paid for it. Oh, I understand money is an issue with mostly everything. For almost every game, money's probably the issue. It's just, it's like I said, it's just weird that they're established and they have they are doing this while they're still making other games that aren't crowdfund. You know what I mean? Yeah, that they're that they have like it, publishers. Yeah, games. if if they right. if they had no other games down the pipe and they were like, okay, let's do this, let's crowdfund a game. I'm totally cool with it, but it doesn't make sense why they're doing both. You know. I don't know. I think like, it, it probably just is that they probably don't have a publishing partner, or they think, or they can't find someone who's willing to give them the amount of money that they think they need to make the game that they're talking about. You know? Yeah, could be. I don't know. It's just one. Of, you know, I, I've looked at backing uh, Pillars of Eternity too, but it's it's one of those things like you know I could spend the full price, uh, get a some kind of backing reward. I haven't really looked into them, uh, or I could wait for the Steam sale after the game's been out for a year. You know, and that's what I do with most of these games. Yeah, um, wait and see if they're actually good. Yeah, and and for example, like the Steam summer sale that just happened, Paradox raised the price of all of their games right before the summer sale, so they put us everything on sale, but it was the same price because they raised <laughs> it. Um, so that's horrible. Likewise, <laughs> yeah, likewise, Pillars got affected and the Steam score dropped and all that because people are like, "Oh, fuck Paradox." It, yeah, I know, but it's it like it is shitty. But so it's like if they're attached to that. Uh, publisher maybe they are crowdfunding for that reason you know maybe they don't want to be attached to that right i so i've never crowdfunded a game and i've been thinking about it while you guys are talking and i'm not so sure that i ever would um but i don't know if i have a great reason so for me you know games are something some, i love games i absolutely adore games and i've been playing them all my life but i don't have the like i'm not gonna i I'm not going to browse Kickstarter looking at different games and say, wow, you know, I really want to play that. Here's $40 or whatever yeah. to make sure that this game gets made, to be honest. Uh, that's just not something that I will ever do. 
um, when I see the game on the shelf or when I see a trailer or something like that and it looks awesome, then I'm ready to go to the store and buy it for full price. Sure. And that's just kind of my relationship with games. Um, so I don't think I would ever do something like this. I think there are too many things about games that you can't know without playing it or knowing someone who did. So, for example, how many trailers for games have we seen that have been absolutely great and then you get the game in your hand and it's awful, you know? <laughs> right, um, right, totally. Look at the people who were way into Mighty Number no. 9 and then played it and it's garbage, you know? Um, mm-hmm, or, yeah. you know, at least we have the belief that it's garbage, generally held that it's not good. So <laughs> all those people got, you know, duped, I guess. You know, or, or not duped, but they had an expectation that it was going to be something great because of this creative team, because of whatever the reasons are. And then it comes out and it doesn't meet their expectations, so they're out 60 bucks. Is that the right way to look at crowdfunding? I don't know. Um, is it? Is I think that's an interesting point. You know, like, to me, when I go to buy something, I want the, I want to believe that it's going to be good before I pick it up. With crowdfunding, there's no way of knowing that. Uh, it's easier with, like, for example, comics, which is something that I have done, uh, where they can show you artwork. Hey, that's really good, you know? Or they can show you pages, and you can see the dialogue, and it's really good. Or you have an intimate familiarity with the creator because um, you've read a ton of their work, and you know this person puts out quality. Or, because comics are smaller business, for example, I've backed stuff by some of my favorite creators literally just because... I wanted to support their stuff. Or I would back something that a friend was doing just because I want to make sure that it gets out. That's different, though, for it's for games. It's not really... To me, it's not the same. I mean, it is in some situations, whether, yeah, you've had that experience or not. But yeah, I think that's interesting. Is like You do have people like uh, Yacht Club with Shovel Knight who come out and they're like, hey, don't you want a game like this? Versus someone like uh, what Tim Schafer did, where it's like, hey, you know Tim Schafer, he's made all these games, don't you want to see him get to make the kind of game you you like to see him make, right? Or like they kickstarted Psychonauts 2, which is a game that people have been asking for for years and years and years and years, now they finally have the money to go make it. Right. And those are two different, like, they're appealing to different audiences or different sensibilities there. But what I'm saying is that there's, like... There is no date games developer that I like that would ever kickstart something because I don't play those kind of games. So yeah, you're not like in that. You're not intimately involved in like indie scene the same way you are with comics, right? So it was that would never be my experience. And then on top of that, you do have those horror stories like with Mighty Number no. Nine, where it has the pedigree and there's no reason to think it's gonna be bad, and then it's awful. So. Yep. That's like, I just see games and comics as different in that respect. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Like, I think I made, I made this point before that I just don't know that Kickstarter is like a great fit for games. And like, I think it's great that it still does work for the times where it works out, and you get a game like Shovel Knight, or I guess like Ukulele is like a middle of the road example where it's like people were like, oh, like yeah, we really want this from these people, and then they got it, and they're kind of just like, oh, maybe we didn't really want this so much, you know? Right. And objectively speaking, it's it's an individual issue. If you like the idea of a game and you want to see it made, then pay for it, right? Um, right. And, and, and you will, because these games have been crowdfunded, and we've got 
varying degrees of success on that. But people are taking agency and saying, you know what? I believe in this project. I'm going to make sure that I do my part to see that it's made before I even get the chance to play it. And that's a great level of dedication. And I'm glad that there are people who feel that way for those people for who those games are made. But that's not for me. And I can almost guarantee you that I would never do that unless like, I had a friend who was making a game that needed help. Otherwise, I would never right. do it. Do you think, like, uh, what about if there was, like, um, a Kickstarter for, like, a, like, that N64 era, like, classic style wrestling game, like, spiritual <laughs> successor? Like, in the uh, same way that Shovel Knight is, like, kind of like a Mega Man, like, NES platformer spiritual successor where like we're gonna we're gonna take everything that was dope about those sweet N64 arcade era wrestling games that we all remember and we're gonna just make it with original characters. I would not do it because I don't no? I don't care about original characters. I care about those wrestlers. So if it can't You don't think you could get into a wrestling game that didn't have real wrestlers in it? Nope. If it no? nope. I part of a big part of why I love those games is who those characters are. And obviously it doesn't matter, right? Like you could strip you could strip the the characters and the likenesses away, and it would still be a really good game. But yeah. I wouldn't have the desire to play it. It's a, it's like Street, for example. I love Street Fighter. I love right. I love the way those games play, but they're not Street Fighter without those characters, and I have a different association sure. with them at that point. Okay, I think that makes sense. All right, but all right, all right, fine. Let me add another. I'm just adding addendums now to play Devil's Advocate. Because Friday the 13th was a Kickstarter game. And it was originally supposed to be a game that wasn't a licensed game. It was generic or whatever. And then the game like got a little bit of buzz or whatever. And they were able to get the license. So what if they got the WWE license? And they had access to the full stable of like every relevant wrestler. Well, so that's a that's a thing that would absolutely never happen. But if it did for some reason but happen, if it did, then yeah, sure. Do you think that's a game you could see yourself kickstarting? Yeah, if, if if the promise was it's going to be the exact same experience, just again, I guess, then yeah. With modern like modern modern yeah. uh characters and all that, yeah, sure. Yeah. I have a I have an addendum to bring up uh, you guys were like even Sean was saying he spent like forty bucks on the game and possibly get burned. Uh, I took a little detective work here and just wanted to see what some of the stretch goals for Pillars of Eternity Two are. There is a ten thousand dollar option that some guy claimed. There is a five thousand dollar option that two people claimed. Another five thousand that two people claimed. Uh, another five thousand that three people claimed. So like yeah, you were looking at at least like twenty or thirty people who all spent upwards of five grand on this game. And then the game uh, is bad. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, there's a three thousand dollar option. Um, there's you know like fifteen hundred. Like that's usually for like uh like a trip, right? Like no, oh, no, like it's, go meet it, the developers or something. The or... ten thousand one is meet the developers. The three thousand one yeah. is create an in-game spell, which sounds really stupid for three grand. Um, that's kind of cool though. I, no, it's you think it's about like it? cool. Like you, could you, just, like... you are like creating the world. Like Pillars One had a lot of uh player input into the game that created the world around it. Every grave was submitted. Uh, every tombstone's uh, epitaph was submitted by a player, so yeah. you could turn that off if you wanted to, like keep a more traditional experience. But like, it wouldn't break the fourth wall as hard. So that's the style of this game. But the fact that there are so many people who spent upwards of three grand, or like a thousand, or even five hundred, and like going back to the start with this seventy nine dollars. There's a thousand backers for that. Like, it's this the physical box version for fifty nine only has six hundred backers, but you look at the forty five version and it's. $45 version, it's 10,000 backers. The The game reached 400% of its goal. Uh, 
at like four and a half million dollars. So like, I wonder now, like, we, we, like Andy was saying too, like, is this too much? You know, like this this game has got four times the budget that it was supposed to have with, that it probably needs. Yeah, with people who are like, I'll give you ten thousand dollars, and like, what if that guy's not happy? You know what I mean? Right. Like right. that. That sucks. You know. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's necessarily within the realm of our business necessarily like if the game if there are people who want to support the game to the degree that they're willing to spend like 10 times the amount of the production costs that's right. on them and oh, yeah, good Definitely. on the developers for being able to get that extra cash because they deserve yeah. to be paid for what they made if people want to pay them for it that's right like, and like that's my whole thing is like i feel like people get very like cynical about that kind of shit like oh you're gonna charge ten thousand dollars for this shit but it's like yeah but they didn't like they didn't put a gun to your head i wasn't saying they were you like know? forcing him i was saying like it's gonna suck for that man if he right gets the game disappointedly you know like oh sure. shit i spent 10 yeah. grand on this thing you know <laughs> right 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 yeah <laughs> i wasn't saying that you are but i yeah. think a lot of people take no, that they, posture, they do they do you know sure. like, like there's like, a there's oh, a... how dare you charge ten thousand dollars for a game yeah like, well it wasn't ten thousand dollars for a game no. it was ten thousand dollars for this experience right. that this person decided was worth it. and there, there's a five dollar option you could have given them you know you don't right. have to give them ten grand or you don't have to even give them 60 you can give them five uh like you know it's one of the things i think of is like on my favorite podcast uh one of the highest tiers that they have for for doing something is like you can be a a patreon producer on on their episodes right and they'll say like oh like this episode was brought to you by patreon producer whoever and they pay like it's like i forget it but it's it's like a few hundred dollars or something like that Mm -hmm. like literally just to have their name read on the show in that way and it's like you're not doing that for any other reason than that you want to support that product oh yeah it's like if someone's giving $10,000 to that game, they obviously have expendable fucking income and they think it's worth it for them to A, give that much money to the project and to get to go meet the people or whatever and have this experience and travel there. And it's like, if you want to fucking pay for that, that's your fucking prerogative, man. But I also think it's then on, it's the, it's the developer's responsibility to actually deliver on that shit. Yeah. You know, not in the way that Mighty Number no. 9 did, where even if the game sucks, that box better be fucking good. I spent 60 bucks on it. <laughs> I, I've never crowdfunded anything before. Uh, I just don't have money most of the time. But, like, you know, if there was a dollar option for lots of things, maybe I would do it, you know? I don't know. It depends, you know? So the only time I've ever crowdfunded things is I've used it as things that I see as, like, pre-ordering. Right. Like I have crowdfunded uh, like Sean, like I, I've crowdfunded a comic before and I've crowdfunded uh, a book, you know, like um, boss fight books is this uh, series about if it's it's books about video games. And it's like sometimes it's looking at them from a historical aspect. Sometimes it's looking at them from like an emotional aspect. Um, and it's this really, really great series. Right. And I had read one of the books in the first um, volume. So I've kickstarted every volume since then. And I haven't read even like any of the other books but i own all of them now and it was because it was like oh for 15 bucks i can get access to all these books that i'm sure i'll be interested in reading and even if i never get to them i'm glad they exist so i'm down to throw down my 15 bucks to make that happen or whatever right um so i feel like for that it's totally great but i do think like with games and the way that gamers are to have this thing super hyped up at the time of this kickstarter and then have to keep a conversation going about it for two or three or four years and keep it positive that whole time and 
to the point that Andy made earlier, especially if you get more, way more money than you need, that's like an enormous amount of pressure. Yeah, for the developers too. You know, that that's. I may not have like worded it properly, but like part of the thing I was trying to say with the ten thousand thing is like I feel bad for the developers on that. You know, like what if that guy's disappointed and he gets to say, you know, I spent ten grand and I don't like it, and they're like, we tried, yeah. you know, like we didn't like, think we did someone would give us ten thousand dollars. You know, it's like that's not our fault that you don't like what we gave you, but I, they do. You know, I feel bad that they might have that responsibility now to like cater to. You know, like if the numbers were capped at a hundred, you know, it's like well, nobody. Nobody like lost ten thousand, you know. Like we're not gonna feel, and it's it's and it's one person, obviously. But you know, he might have a voice because of that now. I don't know. But you know what though, dude? If you spend ten thousand dollars on a Kickstarter, and you're stupid enough to think <laughs> that because you spent ten thousand dollars, like the game had better be good, you're yeah, crazy. Yeah. Like you didn't no, spend ten thousand dollars <laughs> on the game. You spent ten thousand dollars on, you know, whatever the whatever the um the 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 backer kit experience was that was what actually cost ten thousand. The right. game cost sixty bucks. You yeah, spent yeah, yeah. X amount more than that because you felt like it. So you oh, don't no, get yeah. to say, uh, uh, like, I'm just saying that I know you're right. That there are people oh. who definitely feel this way. Yeah, no, that, that that's that's like my concern. You know, I, I don't, that's like such a weird attitude to have. You know, like it, you chose to do it, right? So like, I don't want like ever the developers to feel pressure because of that, and also like the. The the, the, re the response can be so negative sometimes for something that's undeserved, you know? Uh, yeah, and I think it's because people feel like they have skin in the game, right? Yeah, that's, like, that's what I, I meant. Yeah, this, yeah. I paid for right. this. And yeah. it's really no different than if you were to just buy the game or yeah. buy a collector's edition of, like, Horizon Zero Dawn for $80 mm -hmm. before it came out. Right. And you're literally doing the same thing. I think it's just because you do it so far in advance and you feel like, I made this happen, so you owe me something. Right. And gamers are already fucking entitled, entitled about yeah. shit like this yeah. all the time. <laughs> I talk about gamer entitlement all the time. It's very real in my mind. And, like, I feel like this just makes it worse because it puts a fucking six-year gap or four-year, three-year, two-year gap between when you spent money and when you finally get this thing that you spent money on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and like you said, to keep it positive for anywhere from two to six years, that's yep. really hard to do. I mean, you have to have something gold the whole time. And there's always going to be bumps in the road. So, you know, people take one little hiccup and they're like, oh, it's, oh, it's over, you know, and and – there's people that jump to conclusions on that shit. And the internet's a nasty place, you know? One thing gets, like, taken wrong, and the hype is now anti-hype. And, yep. you know, and, yeah. and, like, it's like that for a year. And then they have to do PR for, like, a year just to say, like, wow, that didn't even happen, and this is normal. Like, don't you know, judge it by one thing. <laughs> um, that, That's like with Andromeda, like you had said, too. You know, like, it comes out, and the facial animations were wonky, but it's not like this should kill the game, you know? Like, it's got anti-hype for that, but you should at least give it your, your, a chance, you know? All right, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a good point to wrap it up on. So, you know, I think as much as this can be a, a funding model that has a lot of pit, pitfalls, I am inclined to agree with the point that Andy made before he split, which is that, you know, I'm willing for there to be 100 bad Kickstarter games for every success story that we got. You know, if we would have never gotten Shovel Knight without kickstarter then kickstarter's done good by games as far as i'm concerned um i think it's just on you as a consumer to understand what you're getting into when you make that covenant with a game developer you know that this might not be exactly what you expect but you're paying for the chance that it will be you know 
So that's going to wrap up this episode of the Video Game Pals. As always, if you guys want to connect with us, you can send us an email at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You have your thoughts right on the air. You can follow our sister show at The Comics Pals on Twitter, Instagram, or follow us on Facebook, any of that stuff, uh, to stay up to date on everything that's going on here at the Pals Network. And um, yeah, if you guys are an audio listener, please give the this episode a like, share it with a friend, uh, jump over to iTunes and give us a, uh, a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. And if you're over on YouTube, like the video, share it with a friend, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We'd greatly appreciate it if you stay tuned for all the great exclusive content we have coming to the platform. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Video Game Pals. We will catch you guys next week. Take care, guys. Peace in the void.